It's an interesting thing to, uh, to ask a question, and, uh, to make a statement, uh, and to have people amen for the wrong reasons. The idea to, to foot stomp or even say something with a bit of irony or sarcasm in your voice and have people take it for real. To, to make a statement, uh, trying to make a point, and somebody amens it, and you think, wow, did they misunderstand it or did I misstate it? We have a, a situation here that Jesus is making a statement, and interestingly enough, I think it would have been amened by the wrong people. But then in the explanation, in the explanation, the right people amen it for the right reasons. It's an interesting discussion about who the Lord is, about the prophecies of a Messiah, about the promise of one who would come, uh, the Christ who would come uh, to rescue His people, uh, the mistaken uh, idea about what that was going to be, and the reality of the Savior who came. Mark chapter 12, we begin reading in verse 35. Just a few verses here this morning. I encourage you to take your, uh, your few Bible or the Bible you brought with you. On the few Bible, you can find this on page 848. Remember what's going on. Jesus has had several uh, engagements and interactions with scribes, with Pharisees, with Sadducees, uh, all trying to find cause uh, to indict Jesus for blasphemy, uh, for insurrection, or for any crime for which they can get him punished and even killed. Jesus continues to teach, and here's where we pick up. Verse 35, And as Jesus taught in the temple, He said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the Son of David? For David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord, so how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. Pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for, uh, for your word. We thank you, Almighty God, for the way that you speak to us the wondrous way that you make yourself known perfectly as we open your word, Father, as we read it, as we study it, as we seek to apply it. Father, we thank you that though the grass withers and the flower fades, that your word endures. And Father, that we are blessed by it as we engage with it today. Father, teach us, and may we in our going forth have our steps ordered by your word, by the work of your Spirit. For your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. It's Psalm 110, the 110th Psalm that Jesus quotes. It says right in the superscription there, the very beginning of it, it says this is a Psalm of David. It was, was understood that this was, was the writing of, of King David, uh, the great psalmist of Israel. The Lord says to my Lord, sit in my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Psalm 110 begins, and so Jesus makes this statement. He asks this question, how can the scribes say that the Christ, now when he speaks this way and puts words in the mouths of the scribes, he was not saying, how can the scribes say that I am the son of David? We know that he is the Christ. We know that he is the son of David. But, but the scribes were, were, were not happy with, uh, with that type of uh, description of who Jesus was. He was not the Messiah. He was not the Christ that they had anticipated and expected. But they would say that the Christ, when He comes, is the Son of David. And He says, now, how can this be? For David himself and the Holy Spirit declares, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. And so there was this 
this, this question that was, was placed out there uh, that, that was really not well understood. It was not understood by those who had listened. There would have been uh, those who had looked at that and said, well, this is, uh, this is Jesus undermining himself. And he, but he asked this question, and in his instruction, we find ultimately that last statement, it says, and then a great throng heard him gladly. The King James, you go back and look at there, it says the common people heard, heard him gladly. It was this idea that, that he, he placed the cookies on the bottom shelf. He put them out there where people could hear it. They could understand it and, and understand what he was saying. And just this brief summary that Mark gives us of this particular teaching uh, is amazing. So let's look at what is being discussed here. The very first thing is we always have to place this within a cultural context. Remember that any text without a context can become a pretext for whatever you want it to say. I'll say that again. Uh Just for Rex. A text without a context can become a pretext for anything. Basically, if you take some text and you yank it out of the context, you can really make it say what you want. So it's always important that we put it within the context of God's Word. Think about what's been going on and what is going on. There's this great debate and, and discussion going on. The scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, uh, the temple leadership, really seeking to undermine and ultimately uh, disgrace Jesus, even put Him to death. So that's the, the context, the events, what's going on. But there's a cultural context of, of what's happening here. And it's a cultural context that we might understand uh, a little maybe one generation removed in a fashion. And that is the whole context of, of fathers and children, of parents and children, of the respect that, that is due children to their parents. We think about the fifth commandment in particular. The fifth commandment, honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long and it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God has given you. I always liked my translation of that. Honor your mother and your father, or your days won't be long. <laughs> it's, this, it, it, it's this notion that, that honoring your father and your mother comes with great wisdom. The idea that in, in listening to the experience of your mother and father that's gone before you, there is great wisdom that you would live long in the land, that idea that it would be well with you. Because keep in mind, speaking as one, even the dumbest of parents have, have, have walked a few more steps than their children. And if, if nothing else, children can benefit by the mistakes of their parents. And parents are due honor. Very, very simple. Jesus is not undermining that at all. But that's the context of what's going on here, the cultural context. The idea that there was great respect and deference paid to mothers and fathers by their children. I'm mindful of the, the time that I was, uh, I was in, in Turkey. Uh, it was back in the 90s. They had just had uh, some devastating earthquakes. Uh, we'd flown into Istanbul, uh, stayed there for a few days, uh, then traveled out to a little village, Haji Sulamanbe. The only Turkish words I remember um, is the name of this little village. And in this village, uh, we were helping to rebuild some structures. They had had these horrible earthquakes. The stone and the concrete houses had collapsed. It had killed so many. People were afraid to live in their houses. They were dwelling literally in tents. Uh, the Mukhtar, the mayor, there's another word I remember. The Mukhtar, the mayor of the, uh, of the region, actually was living in a tent. And we were going and building some prefabricated metal uh, buildings, and one of the things that was built in a community was a chahana, uh, a tea house. It was a social gathering, and it was for guys. It's where the guys went, they hung out, they played cards, 
they smoked really atrociously smelling cigarettes, and they drank tea. Um, but there was a, a rule of thumb there, and there would always be in every village three chaihanas. There'd be three tea houses. Uh, because you would never, like I said, smoking was a big part of the culture, but it was considered uh, disrespectful to smoke in front of your parents. So you would have the young man's chaihana, you'd have the middle-aged guy's chaihana, and you'd have the old man's chaihana. And you could never be in the same one with your father or with your father's father. Now, granted, you might be 60 years old and in the young man's chaihana, so long as your father and your grandfather are still alive, you don't get promoted until there's a vacancy. But it was in that culture important to show in that particular uh, arrangement deference and respect. And like I said, we may find ourselves one generation removed in many things, especially down here in the South, uh, when we start talking about uh, respect uh, when it comes to parents and children. Now, I I do believe that that is something that should never go out of style. Uh, I believe that we owe our parents respect and honor, uh, even when we don't agree even when you're 52 years old and even when you're older and you're, your parents, you in many ways think of each other as peers uh, because of uh, being able to share, even when you have been called upon to bring wisdom to a situation to help your parents, whether it has to do with finances, whether it has to do with computers or anything else, even when you become the expert, uh, never forget, that's mom and dad. That's the culture in particular in the day of Jesus. And so he raises this question, how is it that the father would call the son Lord? Because that's the question. It says, King David is writing this. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put enemies under your feet. So he says, the Lord, God says to my Lord, the one who would have the enemies under their feet, uh, sit at my right hand. We see this picture of God the Father and God the Son, certainly the one who would sit at the right hand of the Father. And, and, and Jesus asked this question, how can you say, how do the scribes say that Christ is the son of David? Well, that's a true statement. The Christ is of the line of David, the rod of Jesse we find uh, in Scripture. But how is it that he would say that? Uh, when? How is it that the Father would say of the Son? Now, there's two occasions we find in the Gospels, uh, other occasions where Jesus uh, is asked and He responds in a way that indicates that He is greater than one of the fathers. John chapter 4, verse 12, He is asked uh, if if He considers Himself to be greater uh, than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it, as well as his sons and his livestock. Jesus speaking about his preeminence even over Jacob. Remember, God is the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Really? Jesus, do you consider yourself to be greater than Jacob? Would Jacob call you Lord? In John chapter 8, verse 53, Abraham himself is brought into the question, would you consider yourself greater than Abraham? Jesus went so far as to say, Abraham was glad to see my day. Abraham was looking forward, was straining forward in in righteous faith to the day of the fulfillment of the promise of God that would come in Jesus. Abraham was anticipating, indeed, Abraham was saved because of Jesus. His his faith in the coming, fulfillment of the promise of God. Abraham was glad to see my day, Jesus. And they said, you're not but 30-something years old. How, How is it that Abraham knew anything about you? Jesus goes on to say, before Abraham was, I am. 
Words that, that we sit back and say, okay, so before Abraham was, I am. But the people understood it. Those who heard him understood what he was saying. Again, the context of that was Jesus evoked the divine name of God. Remember God identifying himself to, uh, to Moses on, uh, before the burning bush. He says, tell them I am. Speaking about the self-existence of God. And Jesus is saying before Abraham was, I am. They understood what he was saying, for they took up arms to try to kill him right there, to stone him, to put him to death right there. The culture is how in the world could a father call his son Lord? The expectation in the day, part of the culture was, they expected a political messiah. They expected a king to come riding in on a war horse, to come and to to strike down uh, the Roman overlords, to strike down those who held them oppressed, those who claimed the promised land to be theirs. Rome needed to to be uh, extinguished in the mind of those who expected a political Messiah. They expected a reestablishment of the kingdom of David, a man of war, a man of victory, a man who would make the kingdom great in that day upon a physical throne. And they would think about things like Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. They would look to that and say, see, our Messiah is going to be a man in armor. Our Messiah is going to come with the sword. And Rome, Rome will no longer control the people or the land of God. And this would, be, this would be the son of David. For Isaiah goes on to say, There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a branch from his roots that shall bear fruit. The root of Jesse, Jesse being the father of David, this would be a descendant. Again, even in making reference to David, honor was given to David's father. It, it speaks about not, not a descendant of David in this particular passage, but from the root of Jesse. The father of David is even giving great respect in this particular passage. We go on to to read. uh, We read in, uh, in in Jeremiah chapter 33. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise that I made with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah. And in those days and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in those days, Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell securely. This was the expectation that Jerusalem itself would be free of the shackles of Rome. Jeremiah goes on to say, And this is the name by which it shall be called, The Lord is our righteousness. For thus says the Lord, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel. And the Levitical priest shall never lack a man in my presence to offer burnt offerings and burnt grain offerings and to make sacrifices forever. It's this promise that that the temple and its worship, that the, the city, that the nation of Israel would be safe and secure because a conquering Messiah would come. They saw that as their greatest need. They saw that as the fulfillment of the promise. And when Jesus stands before them, he asks a question to get them to begin to assess, was their expectation right? He says, how is it that David would say, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand? Is it indeed that the one who would come, who would come from the the line of David, that root of Jesse, would be so much more than an earthly king? 
Is it possible that the one who was promised would know the respect and the worship of King David because he was so much more? You see, their expectation was, we want King David part two. We want King David revisited, the sequel. And he said, perhaps, perhaps the Messiah is so much more that David would say, this is my Lord. Well, this conversation comes about in, in the midst of, again, the audience that was, was a mixed audience. Uh, you think about all those who were surrounding Jesus. As you read Scripture, you ought always to say, to whom is this being spoken? Who is watching this? Who is seeing this? Because you think about the way that, that Jesus interacted with people. Sometimes it would be a situation where He would simply speak, and miles and miles away, a healing would occur. Or maybe it is that he would get down in the mud and he would get down in the mess and he would literally lay his hands in somebody's eyes, put his fingers in their ears, he would touch the leper, he would in, embrace the unclean, and he would do so because of who was watching, because of who was involved and what was taught in that moment. And so we think about who is listening to this and why does Jesus bring this up? And we think about uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, uh, the Herodians, and as well as the followers and disciples of Jesus there. And so... What is happening is Jesus is actually utilizing a, a bit of a, a, a religious or instruction practice in the day. It's called the Haggadah question. It, it's a question that uh, takes two seemingly contradictory or, or seemingly confusing passages, and, and basically you, uh, you, you begin to, to search to see uh, how these things are resolved. Here's a, a simple statement, because here's the situation that if, if the, the, the Christ is a descendant of David, how is it that he calls his descendant Lord? That's the, the question, the Haggadah question. And, and so he is now resolving it for us. There's a, a basic truth here, by the way, uh, that as you're reading Scripture, as you read Scripture and you read something, I uh, think about you reading the Proverbs. One proverb will tell you, respond to a fool according to his folly, right? You, you, you need only read a few more verses, and you read the verse, do not respond to a fool according to his folly. And you think, wow, God's speaking out of both sides of his mouth. And so you would ask, how is this resolved? The, the truth of, of, of studying God's word, uh, the practice that we ought to, to acknowledge is this, uh, that when you study scripture and you find two statements that seem to be opposed you can't choose which one you like best. You, you can't pick which one you like and say, I'm going to stick to that one and I'm going to ignore the other one. You can't pick and choose based on your preference because what that does is that sets you as Lord over Scripture. Basically saying, I'm going to pick what I like. Uh, we need to sit under the authority of Scripture. And when God speaks, uh, we need to understand what He's saying. And when we find things that we don't understand or we look at it and we say that seems to conflict or even contradict uh, then we've been given the charge then uh, to study Scripture prayerfully, diligently, carefully to see how God reconciles those things because He does. God, there's no shadow of turning in Him. In God, there is perfection and instruction. And so we need to, to study God's Word. When we read it, we need to understand that we have a tendency in our sinfulness to misunderstand. And we ought to prayerfully and carefully study God's Word uh, in situations like this. So the question is posed, how is it that David calls his descendant Lord? Well, these who were listening to him, 
Uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees described it was not a homogenous group of people. It was not a bunch of people that were just saying, Amen, Jesus, you preach it, you go. It wasn't a friendly crowd like I'm blessed to face uh, each Sunday morning. <laughs> For the most part. But, but there, there were those who were hostile, downright hostile, hanging on every word, uh, looking to, uh, uh, to find... Um, uh, to find fault in what Jesus had to say. Just the other night, uh, Carol and I went and saw The Darkest Hour. Uh, quite quite uh, very good depiction of Winston Churchill um, and the events uh, uh, surrounding Dunkirk. Um, well, uh, in The Darkest Hour, there were, uh, it speaks about uh, both uh, uh, Chamberlain and Lord Halifax, uh, who both in, uh, on the War Council, uh, of, of uh, the Prime Minister of Winston Churchill, they were constantly looking to find him actually saying, we shall not pursue peace. They were wanting him to, to actually get it in writing, get it, get it actually put in the notes. They were trying to trap him and to get him into saying that so that they could remove him from that position because remember, he was placed in that position because of, well, some political uh, wranglings at the time. Certainly the man for the hour, but at that moment they were, were really trying to find fault in what he was doing. Uh, the Herodians, the, uh, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, those in that day uh, increasingly so. For all the, the forces of hell had united uh, in this final time before the cross of Jesus uh, to, to discredit uh, to thwart, to kill the Christ, the root of Jesse, the one whom David called Lord. One of the scribes had just asked Jesus about which is the greatest commandment. And, and Jesus responded. He says, we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, all of our strength. And we're to love our neighbors ourselves. And the scribe, he agreed. And Jesus says, you do very well. You're not far from the kingdom of heaven. But we need to understand this, that as Jesus is speaking here, what Jesus is doing is He is demonstrating both points of the law. These two greatest commandments. That He was in loving obedience to the Father, doing all that the Lord required of Him. He was loving the Lord God with all that He was. And His ceasing, ceaseless proclamation of God's Word was an example of, of His love. It was a testimony to His total surrender to the will of the Father. And we also see what has been being done and what is going to be done to be a great manifestation of His love for others. That even as He faces opposition, He continues to proclaim the good news of the kingdom to those who would hear. And we do know that there is no greater love that a man would have for others than that He lay down His life for them. This is, this is what's going on right now. Jesus is preparing to lay down His life and, but he continues to teach and proclaim even though there are those who would seek to crush him. And so he addresses this question, how can this be? Well, the bottom line is, the bottom line is, is that people needed to understand that King David called Jesus Lord. In the inspired words of Psalm 110, King David, even though... He lived far in advance of the day of Christ. He called the one who was to come Lord because he realized that he would be so much more than the type of king that King David was. That King David would sit upon a throne, a throne that would be in a palace, a throne that would be there in Jerusalem. He would reign over a city that would be conquered. He would... Uh, 
ordained that his son would build a temple that would ultimately be destroyed. All these things would take place and he says, I will call the one who is to come, the one who would sit at the right hand of my heavenly father, I will call him Lord because he is so much more than the king that I am. Jesus in these final teachings, he's about to wrap up all of his teaching time and we're going to see him proceeding forthrightly to the cross. And and he is leaving them with some last thoughts. When I was preparing to go to college, I sat down, oh my goodness, uh, I went to visit the college I would ultimately go to and I sat down in a room full of administrators and professors hoping to get some money because it was expensive. And mom and dad being school teachers said, you need to get some scholarships. And so I went and sat down in a room and one of the questions I got asked and it really floored me and to this day I don't remember what I answered. All I remember is the, the devastatingly difficult question I was asked as an 18-year-old going off to college, and that was this, if you have only a few moments with somebody, if you have only a few moments with somebody, what would you say to them to make an impression on them? I do recall at that point I was a Christian, and I remember fumbling through some, some discussion of, of faith and, and, and eternity, some discussion there, but, but that's an interesting question to continue to consider is if you have only a few moments with somebody, what is it that you would leave them with? And this is something that the Lord Jesus, He leaves them with. He says, you need to understand the Christ who is to come. He has not come that we would have a building. He has not come that we would have a rebuilt walls and that we would push back uh, the centurion and his legions. It's that hell itself would be vanquished. It's that sin would be paid for. And King David even speaks about it here. For he speaks about it, he says, The Lord said to my Lord, sit down at my right hand. Not sit down upon an earthly throne, sit down at my right hand. God says, sit down at my right hand. And the reason that that takes place is because the work of Jesus was finished. That he could sit down at that place of honor beside his heavenly Father. The picture painted in Psalm 110 is a conquering and a reigning king, and that is exactly who Jesus is. He is the one, Paul tells the Corinthians, the one who is always leading us in victory, in triumph. He is the one who has won the battle, and He leads us in that triumph. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, we need to see that there is one other Haggadah question, one other difficult thing we need to reconcile, and that is what is about to take place. And that is that our Savior is speaking about His kingly nature. He's speaking about who He is as not a king like David, but a king upon a heavenly throne. We're about to see this king broken and bruised. We're about to see Him bloody, hardly recognizable. And by all accounts of those who saw Him on the cross, they would say, this man is defeated. Seemingly unreconcilable until you study for just a moment more and you see that it was upon the cross that Jesus indeed did the will of the Father. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He loved God in perfect obedience, but what did he do as well? He prayed for those who broke him, who bruised him, who beat him. He prayed for those who jeered at him, who mocked him, and he laid down his life in the act of perfect and amazing love. The greatest two commandments fulfilled perfectly in Jesus. This is the type of king he is. This is the type of king we proclaim. This is not a king who has said, all right, listen, everything that you need in this world, the right car, the right health, the right job, the right relationships, the right house, 
all the things that we would want in the trappings of this world, all the things that they would have wanted to happen there in Jerusalem and in Israel, this is not the type of king we're talking about, one who could come and make a decree that these things would be taking place. He goes to prepare a place for us, and that means that he has gone to make us to have a place in the, in the presence of God. That's the type of king he is, to rule and to reign forever. What are your expectations of Jesus? Do you, do you hear him saying, you know, you misunderstand. Yeah, I'm descended of David, but David called me Lord. Wonderful encouragement of this passage is right there. It says at the end, the great throng heard him gladly. I pray that you hear him gladly. I pray that we would never seek to be called anything other than the common people. The people who would listen to God's word and believe it and trust in it and rejoice in it and say, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are more than I would craft you to be. You are more than I would hope you to be. You are the one in whom God has done immeasurably more than we could ever hope or imagine. David said, this is my Lord. Do you say the same thing this morning? Is he your Lord after his fashion in accordance with his plan? for His glory and a joy that you can only begin to imagine. Amen? Pray with me. Lord, I, I pray, O Lord Jesus, that You would give us understanding. And Father, in our going forth, uh, that we would know You to be a King far greater than we could ever imagine in a far more amazing way than we could ever craft ourselves. For Lord, if we could design the government, the plan, and the power of this world, Father, we'd find it to fall far short of what was accomplished, that hell, that death itself were vanquished by the conquering king. And that the Lord, our Heavenly Father, would say to our Lord, the Lord Jesus, now sit in my right hand, that you sit, Father, having, you know, Lord Jesus, having completed all that was given to you, and you have not lost a one of us. We praise you that in Jesus Christ we know a true king, and we find ourselves as more than conquerors along with him. Be with us, Lord, in our going forth, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.